0: You may be seated. Man, Reno's back. I see a lot of people here. Good to see everybody. It's been a wild year, uh, now into another year, and it's just good to see uh, you folks here and recognizing that many of us are listening online, still prevented from being here due to the COVID reality that we know. We pray that uh, in God's goodness and sovereignty, He'll enable us as a church and obviously as, as the world navigate through this and make it out. Uh, see the light at the end of the tunnel. Amen? Who's ready for this to, to kind of... be done? Yeah. We pray the Lord in His perfect way and timing will bring this about. How's everybody doing today? Good? Great to hear. At some point in the last seven, eight years that we've been Uh, doing this as a church, renovation church. I can't remember when it was, but in the early days of planting a congregation here in the northern suburbs, I ran into a local pastor at a cafe. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine pastors at a cafe drinking coffee and working, my kids say? He was meeting with someone, I assume, uh, this pastor was meeting with someone in his congregation, it's a pastor that I knew, well-respected one, and uh, he introduced me to, again, what I suspected to be one of the members of his church. He said, hey, I want you to meet a friend of mine. This is Mike Mazey, the pastor of a new church in the area called Renovation Church. He's the new competition. And we laughed and chuckled. We all Knew it was a joke, right? We all knew it was just kidding around. And yet you wonder how people view and understand pastors and churches, view and posture themselves toward other churches in their area specifically. It's sad to say that many churches and pastors can. Look at each other as what? Competition. Right? That they see us as potential threat. I mean, if you're not growing as a church, you're dying, right? So if a new church is in town and the fear is that that church is going to take your members and go to the new hip thing in town, and those are understandable fears, as many churches have simply sought to. Uh, do that, right? To grow their church by intentionally luring and attracting other believers from other churches to their new fellowship. The pressure's real on pastors. The pressure's real on churches, especially given the secular context that we're in, and that's increasingly so. So there's this idea that the way to hang in there, the way to move forward as a church is to. Get as much market share, religious market share as possible, and a new church could be competition. Really, you could see any church in your area as a threat, as competition. But the question that we're asking today, and I think it's an important one, uh, is this. How do we relate to other gospel-preaching churches? It's an important question. How do we relate to other gospel preaching churches? How does renovation relate to them? Do we do so competitively? Or do we do so collaboratively? What do we see in the scriptures? What do we see in the New Testament as the church is born and grows and is planted from Jerusalem to Judea all the way to the ends of the earth? how do we see in the new testament that churches related to one another in different places our text this morning is in second corinthians grab your bibles second corinthians chapter 8 verses 1 through 9 i want you to follow along with me if you got your bibles open up there if you use your phone that's cool it might be on the screen as well as we do everything we can to put the word of god before you so that you can see it and read it, because that is the Word of God. It is what we are fed by today. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 9. We see a situation in which the Jerusalem church is in dire need. How should the Corinthian church, because remember, Paul's writing to the Corinthians here, in the context of great need in the Jerusalem church, how should the Corinthian church? relate to them? How should they respond to their need and why? And how does this question give us insight into how we are to relate to other churches in the body of Christ, the universal body of Christ? So let's see what Paul says to the Corinthians. He says this, verse 1, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, that he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God abides forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. The church in Jerusalem is in dire need they need help they're going through much trial and difficulty in this time it's not surprising that they would have been dealing with that you remember in Acts chapter 2 when uh, thousands were added to their number after hearing the preach word after hearing Peter proclaim the gospel of Jesus to them that thousands of people were uh, added to their number and And in the midst of that, they immediately began to experience rejection, expulsion from family and community, and persecution. What would that mean? What kind of consequences would that bring? Well, the things that would normally bring about temporal uh, resources and blessings, to many degrees, were cut off. So the Jerusalem church was dealing with these things. You take into effect as well that there was crippling taxation. They were taxed in Jerusalem, they were taxed by Rome. So there were heavy burdens placed on this church financially. On top of all that, history and the scriptures, for that matter, record that a famine was going to take place, and indeed it did take place during the reign of Claudius the Emperor, around A.D. 46. So you have persecution, you have taxation, and now you have famine. Are we to be surprised that the church of Jerusalem would face a unique kind of hardship financially for the church and also for the people that were joining it. So that's the situation that we see here that Paul is referencing uh, in, in this 8th chapter of Second Corinthians. The church in Jerusalem was suffering greatly and they needed help from other believers and other churches that had been planted throughout uh, the Roman world. And we see in verse, uh, verse 1 through 5, what? What happens? Paul's telling the Corinthians uh, that uh, the Macedonian church had responded generously. And for the Corinthians, the, the Macedonian church becomes an example that will inspire them. Look at the language here. He says, verse 1, we want you to know, brothers, he's talking to the Corinthians, about the grace of God. That has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Look at this extreme language. In a severe test of affliction. They're also enduring much hardship. In a severe test of affliction. And look at this. Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty. Are overflowing in a wealth of generosity. On their part. They gave. Real practical love. They gave according to their means, right, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor or the grace. There it is again, that word. The grace, what a grace giving is. Please let us partake in this. Let us have fellowship with this need, even in the midst of our affliction, even in the midst of our poverty. Listen, all that we have is this, but man, we want to participate in this need of another church. This matters to us. We want to have fellowship with them. Not simply in a spiritual way, but in a practical way. And actually, in a practical way, because these spiritual uh, unifiers, the spiritual reality that we share with the Jerusalem church, is something that's leading us to respond in a practical way. Such extreme language. right? This juxtaposition of poverty and joy. We don't typically bring those two to the table together. Difficulty and wealth of generosity. I mean, the Macedonians potentially could have been in a situation where they were whining and complaining about their lack, given their situation. But as they looked on the needs of another church in another place, and they understood the fellowship that they shared in a spiritual sense, man, they wanted to. They begged earnestly for the favor, for the grace of being able to give to them to meet their need. And the source of their response was the grace of God in them, overflowing out of them. That's what real giving is, biblically. It's never guilted. It's never coerced. We talk about this in our membership uh, process with people. People say, well, how much are we supposed to give? We don't give you a much. We give you the, the, the basis for giving, right? It's grace in, grace out. And so what we see here is the Macedonians had understood and received the grace of God to the degree that it was, it was overflowing into the lives of others joyfully. They'd rather give than to keep in this particular moment. What an awesome thing the grace of God is and does in us when we receive it. Amen? Amen? It overflows into the lives of the others. So the Macedonian church responds generously, grace in, grace out, to meet the needs of another church, to meet the needs of the people of God in another place. And on the basis of that, Paul is calling Corinth to do the same. And I wonder today if he is opening up our hearts as well in increasing ways, To to be thinking about the needs of other believers in other places, other churches. To look at the Macedonian example and evaluate our own heart. Evaluate our own receiving and responding to the gospel when it comes to the spiritual reality, but also the practical response. He says accordingly, verse 6-8, through right? We urge Titus, that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. You do it too. Cor- Corinthians, you do it too. As you excel in everything. Man, that's, that's one thing about the Corinthians, right? Man, they are a gifted group of people. If you read Corinthians, there's much to affirm. There's a lot of mess going on as well in Corinthians, in the Corinthians, right? If you read the 1st and 2nd Corinthians, you say, man, right? These are These are God's people. They have incredible gifts. They are a mess. They're excelling in much. He says, listen, as you excel in all these things, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I don't say this to command you. Right? But to prove by the earnestness of others, the Macedonians, that your love also is genuine. That's an important thing to remind ourselves of. That love is not just this feeling we have. It's actually not that at all. The true biblical love is what? It's action-oriented. And it seeks to sacrifice oneself to meet the needs of others. That's what love is. And if the Corinthians were to look at the Macedonian example and to respond in kind, what would they be doing? They were giving evidence to The genuineness of the love that they have in them. The genuineness of their love. So the Macedonians are this example to the Corinthians of what stewardship of the gospel of grace looks like in the face of need. And also an example for us. Love sacrifices joyfully to participate in the need of someone else. At great cost great cost. Examples have a way of inspiring us, don't they? That's what the Macedonians are for the Corinthians. But I wonder if there's people in your own life. And I think there's a unique inspiration that we give when we look at sacrifice. Someone who lays down rights, benefits, resources in order to meet the needs or protect the needs of others. There's a unique inspiration that we get when we look at sacrificial people, like soldiers, right, who give their lives for their country, who lay it down. That's a unique example for us. I would say for me, in my own life, it's always been my grandparents. My grandparents have always embodied for me what sacrifice is. And I'll tell you, if you've ever been around them, and many of you may know, uh, as they're members of this church, that they will beg you to give to you. They will make you feel bad for not taking money from them. They'll apologize to you that it was only X amount. I'm so sorry. Please forgive us for only giving this much. And they sacrifice so much in their life in terms of just temporal joys that I I have a hard time sacrificing. But I'll tell you, they inspire me. They inspire me to lay down my life in an act of love, in response to grace, to meet the needs of others. And I wonder if there's someone in your life that has done the same. Examples inspire us. And so the Macedonians become an example for the Corinthians. Don't, as you excel in all those other gifts and skills and abilities, please don't uh, uh, miss the opportunity to excel in sacrificial giving, to meet the needs of others in another place, in another church. What an amazing example. But that, even of itself, is not the ultimate example that, that, that inspires us, is it? As good as it is, as amazing as my grandparents have been to exemplify generosity, it is not ultimately the example that we look to. It is not ultimately the rationale or the basis for such sacrificial giving. It is Christ Himself. And what we see in the Macedonians is the work of Christ in Himself in them. What we see in my grandparents, and the source of that, is Christ in them. Amen? It is Christ. And that is what Paul reminds them of in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't miss the Gospel in verse 9. The rationale... For caring at all about anyone. About responding to need is always and will always be Jesus. His work, His person, His grace. He says, you know this Corinthians, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor so that you by His poverty might become rich. And so many people, pastors and churches, have twisted this to preach a false prosperity gospel. That is not here in the passage whatsoever. So just disregard it altogether. What we're talking about here is the fact that Jesus, in the glory and richness of heaven, left that place in the incarnation and came to us and lived a perfect, sinless life. He took on our form. He took on flesh. He entered into our impoverished state in order that He might bring to us the rich blessings that are found in knowing Him. Salvation. Forgiveness. Reconciliation. Justification. Sanctification. Glorification. Any blessing that there is in salvation, Jesus came to earth to embrace our impoverished state to deal with and carry in this life all that we face in order that we may know and enjoy all the blessings of being one with Him. That's the Gospel. That's what we preach here week in and week out. That Jesus saw our poverty and through union with us in our poverty, we now by faith receive all of His rich blessings. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though He was rich, Yet, for your sake, He became poor. And now, because we've been immensely and sufficiently blessed and enriched by Him, we are more eager to respond in kind. Christ inspires us. Amen? It is Christ Himself. It is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in us, working its way out in the way that we respond to each other's need. We respond Christ-like. Not just Macedonian-like, Christ-like. The gospel takes root in our lives, and the gospel bears fruit in our lives. Grace leads to grace. That's what giving's all about. And really, that's what relationships are fueled by. Between each other, in the face of need, and between churches. Grace in, grace out. Not competition, but love. Sacrifice collaboration so we see that that same impulse to be gracious outside the local church right it's important it's important we need to be as as faithful and important as the local church is and this is it we also have a universal global church that we have fellowship with amen So we don't minister uh, irrespective to the global universal reality in the context of this local church. It is the gospel that motivates within us a gracious response to the needs of all of Christ's people, all of Christ's churches. That's what we see in Macedonia. That's what Paul is calling Corinth to. And I think that has massive implications for us as we think about how we're to posture ourselves toward other all of Christ's people and all of Christ's churches here in central New York to the ends of the earth. So we've talked about moving forward in worship. We've talked about moving forward in discipleship in this series. Last week we talked about moving forward in evangelism. Right? The three great tasks of the church. Worship, discipleship, evangelism. Right? Now we talk about uh, the first of the last two, four and five things that we feel called as a a leadership and calling you to participate with us in this, that we move forward in church partnerships. This is something that is central to our vision. We said from day one, we're setting out, we're going to talk about this at starting point after service today with those who are new to our fellowship. We're investigating potential partnership with us. We said from day one that we're we're setting out to plant a church that will take responsibility for every man, woman, and child on that map. Now we say we're leading a church. How much longer we can use "we're planting a church" language? Maybe we'll planting another one soon. Amen. That's next week. We also said we're going to partner with other churches that stand on the gospel. It's central to the vision of what we're doing and why we're doing it. And so on behalf of the eldership, on the basis of what the New Testament reveals, and specifically 2 Corinthians 8, and how churches in the New Testament relate to one another, we call upon Renovation Church, let us move forward in church partnerships. Let us not give up on these things. May the gospel motivate within us a gracious response to the needs of all of Christ's people and all of Christ's churches. Let's move forward in church partnership. I want to maybe specify a little bit more. First of all, we need to do so biblically and theologically. You go, here he goes again. Biblically, theologically, yes, here we go again. Church partnerships will be done biblically and theologically. You start there. You start there. You can't just partner with everyone. You just can't. True and lasting partnership must be tethered to a shared conviction. Convictions lead to collaboration. Fellowship with one another requires true fellowship with Christ. Convictions are foundational. Shared convictions. Shared understanding of the answer to this question. What is the gospel? You have to share that with people that you partner with. What is the gospel? What are the the absolute hills we're going to die on doctrinal convictions that guide us? The the ones that we hold with with a closed fist. No, we can't let go of that. So as we partner, we do so biblically and theologically. Christian, Protestant, Reformed, Baptist, Missional. Again, does that mean that we can't partner with people who aren't exactly that? No, that doesn't mean that. I mean, there may be certain social needs that we can stand side by side with those who differ from us and say, hey... uh, uh, We want to be gracious. We want to stand with you. We want to care for this particular need, whether it be addiction, whether it be poverty, whether it be illiteracy, whatever it be, we stand with with every person. We care about that. We seek to be gracious about those things. But our partnerships, like our bone-of-bone partners, we're going to share biblical and theological convictions with them because everything that we do is going to be the overflow of that. Can remember early on in the the early days of establishing partners here with Missio and even renovation early on, there was some dialogue taking place about uh, with a, with another church in the area about establishing a partnership to reach a particular part of this county. We had a number of conversations with them, but then all of a sudden things got a little clunky because as we were emphasizing the reason for this partnership is for the evangelization of our geography. The other church said, do we really need, they asked the question, do we really need to use the word evangelism? I'm not certain that we should be evangelizing anyone. Which is interesting. And then it came out as well that one of their pastors did not believe that repentance was necessary for salvation. And just quickly like that, we were... No longer talking about the same thing. And discussions about partnerships quickly came to a halt. That doesn't mean we don't wish them goodwill. It doesn't mean that we can't stand with them side by side for some humanitarian or or, or just simply community grace issues. It just meant that our partnership had uh, major limitations because we had differing convictions about things that we thought were absolutely necessary. You understand what I'm talking about this morning. Church partnerships must be the overflow and on the basis of and foundation of biblical and theological convictions. Without that, we don't have much. We don't have much. So we move forward. And we do so biblically, theologically. We use discernment as we talk about our partnerships. So far, I'm not saying anything too controversial, right? I'm not messing with your life at all really yet, right? Like, yeah, let's partner. Woo! I'm in. Right? We haven't started to ruffle feathers yet. That's, that's coming. Okay? So that's not new. We've been hearing this for generations. Everybody loves it. We're in it to win it. We're in it together. We're not ruffling feathers yet. But now let's move beyond the superficial niceties of we share a gospel statement and we share some, some, some very general uh, convictions that I think are important. We move beyond that. We've we got to move beyond the, the superficial niceties of, yeah, we're partnering with them. Beyond the pastoral prayer meetings. Beyond the, hey, would you put this bulletin insert in your bulletin? And the handshakes, the hugs, and the prayer breakfast. Do them all. But I, I think there's so much more for us in church partnership to move forward in than just those things. So I'm going to emphasize a few things. As I say, yes, biblically and theologically, but I also say that church partnerships must be done generously. Generously. That means cost. That means giving. That means sacrifice. And I think specifically, we give four things. We're generous in prayer. You notice that we do this every week. Every single week, we pray for another church in our area that stands on the gospel. We put their picture up here. We mention them by name. We want to continue to move forward in those things. If you haven't noticed, we're getting more specific and personal about what we're praying for as Ethan is reaching out to them early in the week. What specifically can we pray for you this week? We continue to pray for them in their adversity, in their affliction, in in COVID. As pastors are tired and discouraged, as, as members are. Pray for them. So continue to move forward with us generously praying for them. Being concerned for the things that they're concerned for. It's easy to look at other churches and go, that's a you issue. we got our own issues. And I think The gospel propels us to do so much more. To care and to pray. Specifically and personally for other pastors and other churches. We've got to be generous in our prayers for them. Secondly, we need to be generous with our money. Money. Now it's starting to affect us. Because we could do X, Y, and Z with that money. We could hire somebody. We could buy new equipment. Give it to someone else? You've got to understand, this church was planted on the backs of incredibly generous partners. Right? It's, again, the gospel, grace leading to grace. We want to do that as well. Over the years, we've given uh, back to Missio, really specifically, Iglesia Missional, a church that was planted by Rainier Martinez. I understand that uh, the, the Latino fellowship down there is going through some transitions and all. But you understand, we want to invest in the city. Church planting in the city. We've done that. We invest in Acts 29 with our resources. We give a certain percentage of our giving. And where does that go? Where's that money going? Well, it's funding church plants in our region. Churches, like us, eight years ago, right, are receiving resources to help in times of need. And many of them are what they call in hard places. Church in hard places. Look it up. It's an Acts 29 initiative that puts resources into hard communities. Well, every community is hard. Listen, if you've been anywhere, you know that some of them are especially and uniquely difficult. And they need help. And so we continue to give resources. Through the Southern Baptist Convention and the cooperative program, we Give a certain percentage to them And what do they do? They plant more churches Often in, um, in uh, uh, minorities and ethnic communities We've seen that a lot in, in Syracuse So as we give, we, what are we doing? We're resourcing churches We're helping support pastors What about 20 schemes in Merkin's Free Church? We give 500 a month to support their work In the poorest communities in Scotland because the need is intense. The need is intense. And so we give to them. And I'll never forget the 13000 where you guys overshot the $10,000 goal last month and blew me away with your generosity. Because you understand the kinds of things I'm talking about. You understand that it's our, uh, it's our joy to move forward in church partnership, specifically being generous with the resources that we have. To be generous with our money we want to increase in that we give about 10-12% right now outside of the, this church we receive, 10-12% to 12% of what we receive goes back out, we want to continue to grow that number, the percentage of resources that we give because of the need and the opportunities that are presented to us throughout the, the county, the city, the state and the globe we've got to move forward by being generous with our money. Leadership and giftedness. Think of all the vast skills, abilities, experiences, and gifts that are sitting right here to be mobilized in this congregation. Imagine if all of the congregations that know Jesus made their people and their gifts available to the needs of other churches. Imagine if there's a need uh, uh, for, for wisdom and advice and leadership and strategy in another church that another church just seems to be really gifted at. We have literally been operating like that since our inception. Sharing, borrowing, we say, leadership. We've got to continue to move forward in this. Sharing our leadership with other churches. Receiving leadership from others. We have an advisory team that we've had for four years now. Pastors, a couple members as well, and pastors of other churches that speak into us. That ask us the tough questions. They give us wisdom and direction on major decisions. That's what we do. Over the years, we've relied heavily on Missio Church for this. I mean, I still meet with Adam Brago, who leads a lot of the initiatives and partnerships down there to talk about evangelism. How do we bring the gospel to every man, woman, and child in this county? We brought Jim Murphy in to teach my circle. Why? Because leadership needs to be borrowed. When there's passion and ability in calling in a particular area. And I wonder if some of our people can move forward in thinking about ways they can make themselves available in this church, through this church, to be a blessing to the needs of other congregations. It's hard to think about that right now. We're just trying to show up and make it through COVID. I understand that. But our mindset and our posture need to be mindful of the fact that every other church is wrestling with the same struggles. And maybe the Lord's welling up inside of us a desire to assist. I mean, I'll never forget the Morrises. Alex and Gloria, week in and week out, went down and helped Iglesia Missional and led worship for them when they didn't have anyone. People said, where are the Morrises? I said, they're, they're living the vision. They're helping Iglesia Missional. They're doing exactly what our members are called to do serve right what an amazing thing and i think that's the last thing we're generous with our people i think i've said enough about that so generously biblically theologically and last purposefully what's the point you know correct me if i'm wrong but church partnerships prayer meetings lunches all these things they can easily lose their purpose can't they (laughs) why are we doing this again I don't need another bagel with cream cheese. i got had enough bagels. You forget easily why you're having coffee and bagels with people from other churches. So it's very important that as we do church partnership, we keep the purpose in mind. And what's the point of all this? Let me speak as concisely as I can. The point of all this is the glory of God ultimately. Because as the, the church of Jesus Christ Postures itself in a gracious way to meet each other's needs, the world sees something that they don't see in such a divided time. They see the nature of God. And as we posture ourselves in this way, it displays the nature of God in such a way to bring the glory of God to bear. Isn't that an awesome thing to think about? display the unity of the body of Christ as we partner. And as the world sees that, I think this purpose is huge. It's about the proclamation of the gospel message. It's so men, women, and children throughout central New York and beyond have repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel message. When we do this, they see the church united. They see the nature of our God and they hear with one voice The true gospel message of Jesus Christ. That what? Verse 9. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yet though He was rich, He became poor. They hear that. They see that tangibly, visibly. As we partner together. Displaying unity. Accomplishing more together. People coming to faith in Jesus. You know, one of the things with our partnership with CNY One Church to be emphasized is that we are together to do something that we could never do on our own. We talk about the 90,000 people that live in the northern suburbs of Onondaga County, and the collection of churches that come together are churches of like 50 to 100. It's nine churches that realize we, in and of ourselves, we're not the end-all be-all. We don't have what it takes, but imagine if we come together. Imagine if we come together around the gospel. Imagine if we honor and understand that there are some differences and things that distinguish us from one another and honor those things, but see the beauty and the glory of the things that unite us. What is the gospel? Here is sound doctrine. Yeah, you may believe this or that, but for the most part, we are on the same page and we have the same mission and vision. And imagine what we could do collectively. We could do something that we could never do on our own and that's over a lifetime, in partnership together, seize the opportunity to put the gospel into the ears of 90,000 people together. Imagine that. Imagine that. And imagine the cost of not doing that. Imagine the cost of not partnering together. Imagine the opportunity imagine the cost of not. What of God's glory? What of Christ's body? What of the souls of men, women, and children in our geography? So let's move forward. Biblically, theologically, let's move forward generously. Let's move forward purposefully. And may the Gospel motivate within us a gracious response to the needs of all Christ's people, all Christ churches. What a privilege, right? What a comfort, too. In the midst of this, to know that we're a part of and in fellowship with something so much larger than ourselves. So much larger. Let's not be siloed in my office. Op- Let's not be so consumed with ourselves that we miss out on the greater kingdom reality of the universal global church. And let's lay the gospel, just motivate us. May the grace of the Lord Jesus lead to the grace of our own fellowship as we posture ourselves toward other churches in that way. Simply put, let's move forward. Let's move forward in our gospel partnerships. Amen? Let's pray. Oh God, it is Your Word that says, There is one body, one spirit. Just as we have been called to the one hope that belongs to our call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. It's my prayer that for all of us here, that we would walk in a, a manner worthy of that today. Here, locally. But also as we understand our relationship and fellowship with those regionally, nationally, and globally. There's one church that you died for and saved and brought to yourself. Enable us to live Graciously toward one another in a day that is so divided, has so much animosity, where grace is lacking. May your people be a people of grace, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand in response.